We've been looking through the book of John. And uh, if you don't understand or realize the power of this, this scripture, you know, you're going to find out as you do the Bible course. So that's why I want you to do the Bible course. That it's God-breathed. And so as we read it, we believe the Spirit of God would breathe life out of it. So we're going to come and read a part of the book of John. Um, if you understand, we've been talking through that John's purpose of writing this, the evangelist, the, the one that was the last gospel that was written, was written for one purpose and one purpose only. And we find that in John 20 where he says, I write these things, and there was many other things that happened, but I tell you these things that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that in that you have life. See, life comes from us understanding and recognizing that Jesus Christ is God in flesh. He was the Word um, that became flesh, that He lived among us and dwelt in us, it says in John 1. So the whole idea of this book is to bring that out. So as I'm reading book of John over and over again, I constantly want to keep on that target because otherwise we can get drift into all sorts of other things. But John's heart was that we would know him and that we would live in Christ. That's our theme. So how about we read the book of John, uh, so not the whole book, but we're going to start with uh, John 4. Now this is uh, the scripture we're looking at today. I could do a whole six months on this scripture. It's quite large. There's so much in it, and I've heard many sermons about it, but I'm just going to focus um, on an overview of it today. So we're going to start in John 1, verse 1. And it's the story now. We've uh, come through to the story of the lady, the um, Samaritan lady at the well. And as we know, Jesus is taking a bit of a shortcut because he wants to get um, but a shortcut that most Jewish people would not take was right through Samaria. And here, here we pick it up in John chapter 4, verse 1. And it says, <laughs> the ambulance is coming. No, uh, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. Rumor had got out. Remembering John is trying to pick up that because he is the Son of God, timing was really, really, really important. And that he didn't want to, the timing for um, him to be arrested was not quite yet. This was still early in his ministry. So he's not wanting to cause too much of a stir yet. So he's heard rumors are going about. So now he's going to move back to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way because it was shorter. Eventually, he came to a Samaritan village of Sychar. Now, Sychar is the, the, what, the Jewish name for that particular place, um, and uh, it had a negative meaning to it, um, but it was still a significant place that we end up finding Jesus resting. It was near the fields that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Jesus here, John is identifying that he's just like you and me. He gets tired. The word tired there actually means to be exhausted. It was a long track. It's noonday. He's been walking most of the day. He is tired. You and I get tired. He is flesh. He is human. And just like you, he has the same physical um, restrictions. And, he, and John is helping us see that. Soon, 
a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink, which is just a normal thing to do. He was alone at that time because the disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Think about this. Why did they go into the, the village to buy food Why Jesus stayed back? Was it that he was more exhausted than them? Probably not. It was because if he'd gone into the village, he would have caused a stir because he was obviously a rabbi and he dressed like one and he looked like one and they would have asked him the questions of one and it wasn't the right time. So he stays back at the well. The woman was surprised for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, um, you would ask me and I would give you living water. But sir, don't you have a, sorry, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? You'll understand that a bit more as we look into the scripture. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. Do you reckon you could give me a glass of water? Because I'm actually quite thirsty. Thank you. you don't, don't, just try well. Yeah. So, oh, it's okay. We've, um, you've been overtaken. I was asking a lady, but that's okay. No, that's okay. You're, you're right. I won't say it. But those who drink of the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Do you know the bubbling stream within you giving eternal life? I hope so, because that was the promise that Jesus gave this lady. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again and won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Hey, thanks, man. Awesome. It's not a prop. I she was thirsty. Um, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerasim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming, and when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. For the time is coming, indeed is here now, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must 
worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am. Everyone say, I am. It's a significant two words. But he says, I am. Da-ding! If you were a Samaritan woman or a Jewish person, you would go, oh, you seem to put a lot of emphasis on that, Jesus. I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, why do you want what you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come. Sorry, could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples, have we finished there? See him. Finished to see him. Yes, there was a him. Yep. Um, Did I keep going then or not? Meanwhile, the disciples urged um, Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone feed him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus said, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy waits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saying, Will. You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it's true. I sent you to the harvest where you didn't plant, where you didn't plant. Others have already done the work, and now you will get together the harvest. Father God, I pray for the scripture. There is so much in it, Lord God. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring this alive to us today. That the things that I've pointed out, um, Lord, uh, if they are you, they will go deep into our spirit. But Lord, if there's other things that you need us to hear, that you would speak to each individual person through your word. Amen. The other day I was at uh, Esther House Coffee Shop with my son Jade and we were sitting there having a cup of coffee outside. In fact, Stephen was there as well. It was Monday and we were sitting having a cup of coffee. And as um, Stephen had gone and, and Jaden and I were there having this cup of coffee and this lady was at the counter. We were outside. This lady was at, a count, at the counter. And as she turned around, she walked out. But instead, there was one door open and one door closed. And she walked straight into the glass window that was nice and clear. Bang! I said to Jade, my goodness, I'm glad that's the real thick glass because otherwise she would have broken it. You see, she, w- she thought that was the opening and she walked through, but there was glass in the way that she hadn't seen before. I want to call this message today, The Glass Ceiling of Faith. What's the glass ceiling of faith? You see, after we had spoken about that and Jade and I were talking about how thick and strong this glass was, I, I went inside and I was talking to the girls inside and we were just um, having a bit of banter amongst ourselves, I turned around to walk out in a hurry and walked into the same glass door. 
Only this time my head hit it, my knee hit it, and I smashed it. It was cracked. And everyone's worried about medicine. It's okay, I've got a hard head. It's okay, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. But I wonder for you and I, what is the glass ceiling? You see, the idea of that glass door is it was two doors, one door's closed. You can see on the other side. You know where you want to get to, but there's an invisible plate in the middle there that you're going to walk into until you break it. And when you break it, you see it a lot clearer. I could see where that window was now. There were big cracks all the way down. We're going to take up an offering later on to help pay for it. But there was cracks everywhere. I can see now. I can see what was in the way, but I couldn't see it before. And I got a feeling that when I read this story... person. You are, you even look like you're a rabbi because he would have been dressed and looked like one. You?
She had a problem receiving from him because of her image of him. He was a Jew. She's a Samaritan. Don't talk. She's a lady. He's a male. Don't talk. You're a person of, of high religious status. You should know better. Her image of Christ got in the way of receiving from Christ. And look what she says here. If you, what he says to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. See, the problem is that when we look at other people, we already make a judgment call on them. I was with someone once and we were getting on a plane and they started to freak out. And I said, what's the problem? He said, did you see that, that guy over there dressed as a terrorist? I said, dressed as a terrorist? What, how does a terrorist dress? He said, oh, because he's got a long black beard and he's got a long cloak. And it is. I said, it's terrible. It's probably an ordinary everyday person. Why don't we go and frisk him, make sure he hasn't got a bomb on him or something? It's like, what's the story? But we do that. I tell you now, if you walk down the street, you saw a guy with tattoos. Did he put your tattoos here? Probably. Yeah. Um, but in the old days, you saw someone with tattoos and rings through their noses and black T-shirts. You'd probably think they're, they're going to hurt you or they're going to be rough or I wouldn't talk to them. Our opinion of others is usually determined by how someone's dressed, how they walk or their status in life, whether I should go up and speak with them or not. Because you see, the image gets in the way of what our relationship with that person. And this lady had a particular image of Jesus. He was this person that was a Jewish person. He was a male, and I shouldn't talk to him, and he shouldn't talk to me. There's a block. I wonder what your image of Jesus really is. You see, some people, and I can tell you what your image of Jesus is, but just by spending a bit of time with you. By the way, you pray. By the way, you talk by your, your issues. Do you go to him first because he's the provider or do I work on it myself first? Our image of Christ will determine how much we believe in him and how much we will turn to him. And sometimes our image of Christ is our ceiling. If I believe he's just a nice cute baby in a manger, then that's all I'm ever going to see him as. And he's not going to be doing much for me. If I see him just as the one who's my helper, I just give him a buzz and write, put the right pin number in and he just supplies everything I need and he's just my provider, that's all he'll ever be. If Jesus is just the one who's my healer, that when I'm sick I go to him but I don't worry about him when everything's going fine, that's all he'll ever be. In fact, he probably won't even be that. You see, Jesus did not want us just to see him as this person that was there 2,000 years ago that went on a cross. He wants us to know him personally as the Lord and Saviour, the Son of the living God who walked on earth and now is with the Father and we can relate to him today. How do you see Jesus? Because how you see Jesus will be your glass ceiling. That's as far as you'll go with God. And that's why we need to read the Scripture. That's why we need to wait upon him. I love what Jesus said. He said two significant things to this lady. The first thing he said, I am. You see, remember Moses when he brought the people out of captivity and he met with God? And he said, who do I say that sent me? And God says, say, I am. I am. I'm, I'm just, I am. If you have a look through the book of John, it says about 30 times, I am. 
I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am. I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. I am. He keeps saying, I am. Is Jesus the I am to you? Or is he I can? Because he is I am. He is the Son of God. He is one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He is one that we worship. He is the one that was lifted up, that died for our sins. He is everything. I am. He's not I can do. He is I am. And the first thing he says to her is, I am the Messiah. Well, she's about a second or third. But he says, I am. I am he. I am the one that's come. I am the one that's come to save you. Is Jesus the I am to you? Or is he I can? Or I might be? Or I will be in the future when you want to get to heaven? He wants to be the I am current right now. I am. Jesus is your I am. And that's what, that's what John wants us to know. That Jesus is the I am now. And then he says this to her. He says, if you knew who I was, you would ask. You see, if I knew who Jesus really was, I would ask him. Oh, you have not because you ask not. Do we see him as the one that gives me life or can I live without him? You see, if I believed that he was the Son of God, if I believed he was this bubbling water that would bubble up inside me and give me life, I would ask for it. Have you asked him for that living water? Have you asked him for that new life? Have you asked him? Because you see, he said, if you knew who I was, you would ask. Who do you think you are? I tell you how you know what you think he is or who he is. Look at what you ask him for. Look what you ask him for. Do I ask him for help or do I ask him to be my saviour and my Lord and my one I will worship? You do not have because you ask not and yet if you knew who I was, you would ask. Then he goes on to the other ceiling I find in this, which I find really interesting, is... Oh, that's interesting. Ha! Yeah, um... Your beliefs. This is really interesting. You see, the Samaritans, they were, a, they were an interesting group. Because, you see, you had the Samaritans and we had the Jews. Now, the Samaritans, they came from the same, same tribe. They actually came from Ephraim um, and Manasseh, although some people have argued that. And so they come from this tribe that actually ended up getting in a little bit of a, a barney and they ended up making up their own place of worship and said, this is the real place of worship. It's up here on Mount Gazar, which is the place where it's close to Jacob's well and it's a significant field here and this is where we should worship. But the Jews said, nah, this is where we should worship, over here in in Jerusalem. Now, you need to go to the Bible course because it will explain this a little bit better for you. Um, so make sure you get to the Bible course. But it shows you this line of Jesus that came through Judah, and yet here is the Samaritans, and they've come through another line, but they're still believing in the Old Testament, and the Samaritans believed that they were the keepers or the protectors of the Torah. 
We're going to protect this Torah. We're going to protect the rules and the laws of, the, of God Almighty. We're the keepers of us. Therefore, this must be the right mountain. But the Jews were saying, no, this is the right mountain. This is the place. This is Jerusalem is where you come to worship. And there was tension between the two. And the belief systems were getting in the way. You see, we still have that today, don't we? We still have that today. Some denominations will say, no, the right time to worship is on a Saturday. Uh, the other side will say, no, 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 no. The right time to worship is on the Lord's Day. No, 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 you've got to be on Saturday because it's a Sabbath. No, no, no. We're gonna, and we've got our own little mountains. There's others that will say, no, no, it's, it's actually not to do with, with that style of worship. It's this style of worship. You've got to have communion every Sunday. And this group over here say, no, 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 you just have it once a month. Oh, this one says, well, you've got to be baptized and full dunking. That's what the Bible says. That's what we believe. Oh, no, 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 you can actually do it this way. And we've built up our own little mountains of worship. You see, oh, we worship with your hands in the air. No, 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 you don't have to worship with your hands in the air. You can worship with your hands in your pocket. So where are the hands in your pocket mountain and where are the hands in the air mountain? And whether you like it or not, we've all built up our little mountains of beliefs. Prosperity theology compared to poverty theology. Muslims compared to who believe this. And we've got our own little mountains. And our mountains sometimes become our ceiling because that's what we argue about. Because once you've come up with a conclusion, you become a protector of your particular belief. And when you become a protector of your belief, you become judgmental. And when you become judgmental, you become separate. And yet Jesus said, Father, would they be one? But we separate ourselves because we've got our own little mountains. I could go through heaps of little mountains that you might not even know are there. It might be mountains, but a particular word we use to describe the Scripture. There were mountains about whether the King James was the real one or whether the NIV was the real one. And we have our little mountains of beliefs. And we sit there and we, we're shouting at each other from the tops of our mountains. They separate us. And they become our ceiling sometimes because we can't break through. I sat with a pastor for many a year, um, who was known around our churches of Christ that spoke against the move of the Holy Spirit. And I ended up going to his church and I sat there and he would say that, you know, the move of the Holy Spirit isn't right. You know, and speaking in tongues is not of God. And yet I come to his church and I spoke in tongues and I went, oh my goodness, what do I do, God? And God said, I want you to stay there. And I watched this man move off his mountain slowly. It had nothing to do with me. He just went to the mountain in Korea and was there at, and prayed. And God touched him and he realized that he had built a mountain of belief that was holding him back from experiencing the reality of God. Because we build our little mountains. What's the mountain of belief that we've stuck up? You see, when Jesus came to this lady, he said this. He said, interesting, she was talking about beliefs, right? She was talking about ritual. She was talking about where you're supposed to worship. He was the one who brought up about worshipping the Father. She talked about her ancestor, father, Jacob. 
He was talking about the heavenly Father. You see, the difference was Jesus said, there's going to be a time. And it's actually here right now. We're going to come off your mountains and we're going to pull down the mountains because it's not about where and it's not about form and it's not about how. It's actually about who. It's about my Father in heaven. He moved from the where to the who. And that was the change. You see, I, I heard someone speaking and because I, 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 I try to listen to all different types of preachers so I don't get caught up because I want to hear all sides. And I've heard people say, you know, worship. Worship is actually not about singing. It's about teaching. And the more I teach you this, the more you understand God. And the more you understand God, the more you'll worship Him. Do you know what? There's a bit of truth in that. But it's not the whole truth. It's part of the truth. Because you see, and it's not emotive. And then I'll get others who will do the smoke machines and the lights and the, and the dancing around and say, it's about emotion. And these guys will say, no, it's not about emotion. It's about the word. And they say, no, no, it's about the feeling and this experience of God. And both of them have a truth in it. But they're not the whole truth. It's not the whole truth. Because I can argue both sides from Scripture. I can tell you that, that David was a man who worshipped God out of his emotion. He stripped off naked. Don't do that, please. Not in this setting. But he was, the Psalms are emotive and he wants to shout out and clap and even the trees want to clap. And I can also argue the other side. There's a scripture. Because you see, if you only take one part of the, of the mountain, this is what happens. You see, I could say it's all about learning this and I do believe in this as being the powerful word of God. But I also know that if it's just about knowledge and it's not about the person, it just becomes a full head. It's about the person. It's about God. It's about the Father. And when I study that and see the Father, I should be filled with worship. Because knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And I know that it's about, I love jumping up and down. But if it's just jumping up and down and just all emotions and feelings, it's nothing. But if my emotions and my feelings actually come out of a love for God and I want to jump up and down, it's about Him first. Get off our mountains, church, and let's get back to the place where it's about Him. And then the form comes. The form comes out of relationship with him first. And that's what I believe John is saying to us. It's about coming to him first. So it's a bit like this. Oh, no, I'll come back to that one. We'll come back to that one when we talk about truth. So Jesus said this. If you knew who I was, you would ask, know who I am. It's not about your position it's not about whether you worship like this or like that. It's about me. And the time's coming when you will engage with me. Jesus is saying, come into Christ. Not just talk about Christ. It's about relationship now. And this was the change that happened when Jesus Christ came to earth. He brought us into relationship. The third ceiling is this one. And this one I just want to put a bit more time into. She had a problem with herself with who she was. Look at this. I've heard, and I've each even preached it, that Jesus identified this lady's sin. 
I actually looked at that and meditated on that the other day and I thought, actually, it wasn't the lady's sin that he identified. It was the lady's brokenness. You see, he says to her, go and get your husband. She says, I don't have a husband. He said, ding, ding, got it right. You don't have a husband. You've had a few of them. And the one you're living with now isn't your husband. Well, understand the culture here. Women in that culture do not ask for a divorce. They have no right to ask for a divorce. The male can divorce anything. If they feel like they're just, for any reason, they can just decide that's it. Unlike our rules today. The male can come along and say, oh, it's all off, forget it, and she's divorced. She doesn't make the decision, he does. Now listen to here too, when you're divorced in those times, you are divorced completely. You don't have a 50-50 of the estate. You don't, have, you don't even have rights to your children. You give up everything. You are abandoned. You are thrown out. This lady had been divorced by, by five men who'd come along and just decided, well, I've had enough. And so she's got nothing. And the only way she's going to be able to live is if she connects up and gets remarried. Guess what? It's the guys that actually ask for the marriage, not the woman. So she's now living with a guy who's abusing her again. This lady is being abused by men. Over and over and over again. She was broken. She was empty. She had nothing. She was even an outcast. They suggested that most times ladies would come up early in the morning to collect water. Why was she up there at noontime, the heat of the day? Because she couldn't go with the other women. Why? Because she was an outcast. They also have suggested that there was at least one well that was closer to the town than this one. Why did she go out to the furthest one? Because she had to be out there by herself. I think this lady... We say, oh, she was such a sinful lady. I think she was a broken lady. I think she, was, she had been abused over and over and over again. And Jesus identified her abuse. He identified her brokenness. You see, the lady, I think, was struggling with who she was because she didn't deserve. She didn't deserve to meet the Messiah because the world had told her she was nothing. The world had told her she was broken and she had nothing to offer society. And yet she comes and meets the Messiah. Here's the truth. Jesus will use the people who think they have nothing to actually bring many to the Saviour. He will use those that, that feel like, I've got nothing to give. I'm not a scholar, I'm not this, I'm not that. And Jesus will use those. I'm too broken. He will use you. I have, I've got nothing in me. He will use you. He uses the broken and he restores them and they end up becoming the most powerful in the kingdom of God. That's what he did for this lady. And I want to suggest to you that one of our ceilings is ourselves, what we think of ourselves. I'm not good enough. I'm too broken. I'm carrying this pain and hurt of the past and therefore I've got to fix that before I come to Jesus. Uh, that's the ceiling that he wants to break. He wants to break it. And here is your invitation. Here's your invitation. Jesus then says, You are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teaching. 
and you will know the truth and the truth. Uh, sorry, let me go back up. Sorry. He says to them, Ha, here's the invitation. But the time is coming, indeed it's here, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. What is truth? This is a good question today, society. What's truth? There's a couple of truths. But quite often, what's your truth isn't my truth. Now, just say Maggie and I had a Barney this weekend, because we don't do that. But just say we did. We had, a bit of an, we, we had a bit of a discussion, just say. And the discussion was about the dishes. And Steve, you never do the dishes because the dishes are on the bench. He didn't do this, okay, so don't, it's okay. But I do the dishes. Um, so, and I say, Mark, I always do the dishes. And she says, no, you never do the dishes. What's the truth? You see, the truth is this. In Margie's mind, I never do the dishes because there's a couple of times she remembers when I didn't. For me, I always do the dishes because I'm always doing I just forgot that time. Which is, are we both lying? No. There's a truth that we see from our own perspective. And too often, as Christians, we argue truth from our perspective. And Jesus knew that. There are truths that we have. So you will hear stories of someone saying, well, this happened to me. And then you go and hear the other side and it's totally different. And you go, well, someone's not telling the truth. Actually, they're both telling the truth from their perspective. But Jesus said this. A time's coming when you will worship him in spirit and in truth. Who was the truth? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. He is the truth. But notice the words he used. You will worship them in spirit and in truth. In other words, the only way you can worship God as a lifestyle, which is what it is, is when I'm in Christ. In him. Not about him. Not as a side on uh, added. It's not just a title. I'm a Christ one. It's actually when I am in Christ. When you are in Christ, you are in the truth. Because he is the truth. In John, he also says, as I just read out to you, um, no, it says this, John 3, 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So in other words, the other thing that we're told to here is it's not only in truth that Jesus is the way and the truth, and we worship in his truth, but we also worship in spirit. If God is spirit, the only way I can worship him is when I'm in the spirit. And so the spirit is actually the breath that Christ gives us. That is born of the flesh, is of the flesh, but that is born of the spirit. God wants us to be a spirit people that will put aside the stuff of the past, that will put aside those ceilings that are breaking us, and he wants us to step into the truth, and he wants to fill us with the spirit. Because the Spirit will lead us into a depth of worship. We're going to come into a time of communion right now. And I want us to step into Christ. But as we step into Christ, I want us to do this. I want us to say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? I want to be a person that is born of the Spirit, not born of knowledge. 
knowledge and the Spirit have to go. The Word and the Spirit have to go together because He is the Word and the Spirit. Notice that you've got three things here. You've got the Father, He talks about. He talks about the truth, which is the Son, and He talks about the Spirit. The three in one. The Trinity, again, in this Scripture. Because worship comes when we get off our mountains. I love that analogy of the door where I walked into it because there's a door right alongside it that's open for us, that he wants us to walk through into the fullness and the freedom of life that he's got outside. And we can only do that when we say, Lord, what are the ceilings? I'm going to ask you to take the bread and the cup right now. I want to ask you to do this before God. Just imagine you're meeting Jesus at a well. And at that well, he wants to challenge you on the ceilings that hold you back from really experiencing that bubbling water that he wants to give you. I want you to ask him, Lord, what are those ceilings? What are those things that I've put up, those ceilings that I've put up? It might be certain belief systems that you've been hanging on to and you've been fighting and you've been trying to protect and you've been shouting about and he's going, will you get off your mountain? Because I want you to step into something fresh and something new. Would you let go of that which you've been arguing about? That which you've been trying to claim as being, I've got the truth and you haven't. And let it go because he's the only truth. And what you hold before you is a reminder of his body. When Jesus came to earth and he died, but he lived amongst us in the flesh, that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. But then we read later on that he said that that peace he would give us. We talked about that last Friday. And the peace I leave with you. Jesus died on a cross so that you and I would have peace with God. We would have relationship with him. I want to ask you today, as you hold that bread and that cup, what is it that holds you back? What things about yourself that you've been carrying lies about yourself? Things that you've told yourself? Things that, that the world has told you? Maybe hurt and pain that you've been carrying, brokenness inside you, and it holds you back from stepping into the truth. Because you are a You are God's creation. He has purposed you. He loves you. He accepts you because of Jesus. It's all yours. That's the truth. The truth is that you can't make yourself right, but he can. What is it, that ceiling? What's that ceiling that you've got that maybe you believed about Jesus? That you're not good enough for him that he's just your parents' belief and not yours, that he's just something we talk about, but I don't really know him. What's the ceiling? Because I think he wants us to break through the ceiling. He wants us to open up the other door because he says, I stand at the door and knock. Would you open it up because there's a door there? You can step through it. You can step through it. You don't have to walk through it. He's already opened the door. You can step through it. Just have a couple of, just a minute, just a silence. Let's just turn the music off for a minute, guys. If you don't mind, thanks, just for a moment. I just want you to be quiet for a moment.
Holy Spirit, will you move? I want to know what the ceilings are, Lord God, in my life of being able to step into the fullness of what you have to offer. Would you reveal the ceilings, Lord God? And as I hold the bread and I hold the cup, confess to you, Lord God, I need you. Confess to you, Lord God, that there's stuff that has got in the way between me and you. It's called sin. And I ask you your forgiveness because I want to ask you today the I am to be the I am in me. I want to step into the truth, into Jesus. And I'm going to ask Holy Spirit that as we eat the, the bread and drink the cup, you fill us with all that fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Just fill us with all the gifts of the Spirit. Release us afresh. And as a church, Lord, would you help us break the ceilings around us? <laughs> that we would be the church you called us to be. A great church because you're a great God who we worship and we step into and we follow. Amen. Let's eat and drink together.